All right, let's close the program as we like to do with uh, obituaries. The one we need to start with on today's show would be the passing of Robert S. McNamara, former Secretary of Defense. His obituaries have noted that McNamara will be most remembered as a man instrumental in sending hundreds of thousands of Americans to fight in Vietnam and a man who was haunted by his decision for the rest of his life. McNamara died earlier this week in Washington, D.C. at the age of 93. We talked on this program some time back about the excellent documentary about him by Errol Morris titled The Fog of War, 11 Lessons from the Life of Robert S. McNamara. It was released a few months after the U.S. uh, got itself involved in yet another Vietnam, this time in Iraq, and paints a very sympathetic portrayal, I think, of a man who was indeed haunted by what he had done four decades earlier. Personally, I don't think it's fair to blame the Vietnam War on Robert McNamara, but uh, acting as Secretary of Defense under Lyndon Johnson, who decided to expand the war, McNamara went along and figured that if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. When the war effort floundered, uh, McNamara became Lyndon Johnson's fall guy and was basically uh, retired early. He took a job at the World Bank and stayed there until 1981. I think we've mentioned this program several times before, but it's worth mentioning again. The incident that took place when Clark Clifford became the Secretary of Defense uh, in the wake of Robert McNamara. This has always stuck in my mind, having heard about this decades ago, that when Clifford came in, said he needed to know two things from the Pentagon bureaucracy. The first was, what are our objectives in Vietnam? The second was, how do we intend to meet those objectives? What Clark Clifford discovered was that there was no answer to question number one, something which I think still reverberates in the country because there's no answer to that question regarding Iraq. A friend of mine, to digress slightly, a friend of mine sent an email out recently talking about how, you know, Senator John Kerry wants us to cut and run over in Iraq. I couldn't resist writing him back and pointing out that, as I recall, when he was 20 years old and I was too, he was not uh, overly anxious to join the quagmire over in Vietnam. And when I hear that phrase, cut and run, is usually the kind of people that used to be green berets and at least did actually have combat experience. I don't agree with uh, the whole implication that if you think war is a bad idea that you're, you know, a chicken. And I pointed out to my friend that if he knew what the objectives in the war in Iraq was, he'd better tell the White House. By all accounts, Robert McNamara was something of a genius. He had an astounding ability to, to retain large volumes of data in his head. And curiously, he was brought on board by John F. Kennedy uh, from the Ford Motor Company, where he was considered a whiz kid. Uh, McNamara at that time was only one year older than the 43-year-old president and became a symbol of the administration's youth and vigor. And as someone who would apply modern analytical management techniques to the Pentagon. Now, to this day, people credit McNamara with modernizing the Pentagon. But uh, being more modern and up-to-date did not necessarily translate into being able to... uh, achieve objectives, or in this case, uh, develop objectives. After McNamara stepped down as president of the World Bank in the early 80s, he stayed out of public sight for years, but in the last years of his life, to his credit, he became an outspoken critic of his own policies. His public doubts surfaced in the mid-90s when he wrote his memoir titled In Retrospect, The Tragedy and Lessons of Vietnam. And of course, his 2003 documentary, The Fog of War, really put you know forth his reasonable doubts and, and the fact that, uh, you know, he quite sensibly reviewed the policies he'd been, he had been a part of and realized that they were wrong. 
There's a, tantalizing, there's a tantalizing moment in the film when he's tempted to say more than he has so far, and you can sort of see that he's pondering the matter and decides, no, he just can't go there. As I recall, he was treading in some pretty thin ice uh, as regards, you know, why it is we have a war and why it is such things get promoted, and I think he just did not want to become a social critic of American society or any society that uh, uses war as a social instrument, and let's face it, there's, there's darn few societies that, uh, that, that never do. McNamara had family who are local to the, the Davis-Sacramento area, and uh, people I know that have met them speak very highly of McNamara's family. Something I had not realized about him until I read his obituary was that during the Cuban Missile Crisis back in 1962, Robert McNamara was one of the voices of reason. After Soviet nuclear missiles had been found in Cuba and the U.S. reacted forcefully and imposed a naval quarantine, there were many in, Cu- in Kennedy's cabinet that wanted to uh, send in the Marines. Or worse, launch a nuclear attack. Robert McNamara was convinced that a blockade rather than a military strike was the proper strategy. And the director of the foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute uh, was quoted as saying, McNamara was not buying the military's arguments about the urgency of the threat. And although McNamara was the defense secretary after the Gulf of Tonkin incident when North Vietnamese patrol boats allegedly fired on U.S. destroyers, something we've talked about in this program uh, in the past, he did supervise uh, the sending of troops over, which by the end of 1967, you know, meant that a half a million Americans were in Vietnam. For his part, McNamara was uh, privately becoming wary of the whole strategies being employed in Vietnam as early as 1965. Anyway, I think it's totally to his credit that uh, McNamara was haunted by his decisions and, and did what he could to try and uh, air, air his um, misgivings publicly. The philosopher George Santayana once said that those who do not know history are condemned to repeat it. But I think cynics would point out that even if we did know uh, the history, in this case, how we went wrong in Vietnam, and certainly many people do understand that, it might not be enough to prevent it happening again, which unfortunately was the case in Iraq. But uh, it gets right back down to you know why it is there was a Vietnam War and why it is there, war in, there is a war in Iraq. And I think... Um, both those had to do with things McNamara just wasn't quite willing to talk about. But we would suggest to you, dear listener, that uh, President Eisenhower uh, was less reluctant when he named the forces behind this and called it the military-industrial complex. War has always been a good business for some people, and uh, when those people have undue political influence, well, that's, that's when you have wars. And we're just about out of time, but I hate to end uh, the show on that sad note. So let's close with this item, which does come from the bad idea file, but it's a little uh, perhaps more lighthearted. Then again, perhaps not. Here's the story. According to New Scientist, entrepreneurs in the private space industry are launching a stinging attack on NASA last week over its decision to stick to Imperial units rather than convert to metric for its shuttle replacement program, the Constellation. Critics say this decision will derail efforts to develop a globalized private space industry. Quoted Mike Gold of Bigelow Aerospace in Las Vegas saying, We're doing everything possible to create a global market with as much commonality and interoperability as possible. But NASA still can't make the jump to metric. 
The article notes that keeping both measurements has previously led to accidents. In 1999, a mix-up between imperial and metric units caused NASA's Mars Climate Orbiter to crash on the red planet with the loss of all instrumentation and a billion dollars in costs. Rather lamely, NASA has said that the $370 million cost to convert the Constellation program to metric is too high. Yeah, the cost is too high, and that's what, like 10 hours of war in Iraq? Something like that. I didn't do the calculation. Any, anyway, we're out of time. Just want to note in closing that the two rovers on Mars are still hanging in there. They're a little bit damaged, but they're still hanging in there, and there was an excellent article about them by Robert Boyd in the B or on McClatchy.com. Last we checked, the Spirit rover was still stuck on a rock, and NASA's trying to get it free, but the opportunity's still going around. In fact, it's covered 10 miles now on the Martian surface, which, of course, translates into about 16 kilometers. Our retrospective thanks go to Brian Burroughs. We'll be returning to the topic of his book and the movie Public Enemies in the next couple of weeks. And to Matt Perry, who's the guy we'll be talking to about it when, he, when we get there. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We uh, welcome your comments, and it seems inevitable that every summer our mail starts to drop off a bit, and we like to hear from you, so don't let that happen. Drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We'll see you next week at the same time.